Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, State Room 6 by William Albert Lewis, first published in the Black Cat magazine, November 19, uh, 1895. I don't think this has ever been republished. It's not a famous story. It's not a famous author. But I like this little story, and I'm not sure. Um, I don't think it's aged that badly, actually. I think it's pretty darn good. I was delighted that you you suggested that we discuss this. I had never encountered the story or the author before, but The Black Hat is a pretty important magazine, and this mm. this is actually from volume one, so this was early on uh, an editorial suggestion. I'm with you. I think the story holds up nicely. Um, it seems kind of historical now, but I think mm-hmm. it was historical even when it was written. I think it's supposed to be, yeah. Yeah, so you want to sort of either tell me why you picked it, or or since it's so short, just read it? Yeah, I'm going to read through it. It's only three pages long, and it's, uh, it's easy to read, I think. Here we go. Things have changed greatly on the river. There are no open bars, no card playing, no shooting, much less travel for that matter. We were half a dozen at supper. I sat opposite a gray-bearded man, who, when he had completed his meal, closely scrutinized a modest-appearing young woman, quietly supping at another table. She finished and departed. When she was gone, my neighbor leaned across and said, Perhaps you thought it funny I watched that lady so closely. But that sis, I remember her twenty years back, on this very boat. My, but what a look at her brings to my mind. He leaned back, his eyes on the table, a grim smile broadening, a kindly countenance, and up and pushed both hands deeply into his pockets. The man had something the man had something he wanted to tell. A romance, I suppose. I'd like to hear it. It was twenty years ago, and on this boat, the Hester Hale. Professional gamblers were always aboard looking for victims. None were more daring nor more lucky than Reddy Rankin. A handsome fellow of good family, with a big heart, and manly if he was a cut and manly, if he was a cutthroat gambler and a bad man and all around. Down at the landing we left before sundown. Kellyville, an old man was waiting one night with a wee tot of a girl. He brought her aboard. You know how natural it is to consign children to the care of some person? The child was the old man's granddaughter. She was to get off at low water landing which is the next stop we'll make a few minutes from now. He happened to put the child in Reddy Rankin's care. He agreed to see her safely ashore and to deliver her to her ma. Reddy got a stateroom, put the child in one of the berths, and gave her a bag of candy to keep her from crying. Then he went below for a game. The play chanced to be tolerable heavy that night, with Rankin an $8,000 winner. But it ended in a row and Rankin, seeing trouble ahead, rolled his pile in a newspaper and laid it beside the sleeping child in the stateroom. The boat was then half an hour from the landing. Reddy got into a fight with the man he beat at the table and was badly shot. His last words were confused. He said something about, Stateroom 6, little one, low water landing, money. The boat made the landing. 
They woke up the child, put all the bundles into her arms, and turned her over to her ma. Sis's mother soon discovered the package of money and met the boat at the landing on her down trip next night to make inquiries of the captain. But he knew nothing. Rankin had been buried the d- that day upriver. Nobody knew anything about any money. So Sis's mother kept it, trying all the time to get to some knowledge of the Rankin family that she could not, that she could not do. They had disowned him. About three years ago, a party of young men came up the river hunting. They stopped off at low water landing and boarded with Sis's ma. One of the young fellows was a teller in a bank down in Natchez. He fell he fell head over heels in he fell head over heels in love with Sis. You can't much blame him, can you? She's awfully handsome. Naturally enough, they got to comparing notes, and the story of the money came out. Do you know, sir, it turned out that the young bank teller was Rankin's son? Fact. He and his mother and stepfather lived together, and all they'd ever heard was that Reddy had been killed in a fight on the river. They didn't mourn over much, although Reddy wasn't the worst chap that ever lived. There. We're just blowing up for low water now. Let's go on deck and see Sis land. Up to visit her ma, I reckon. Rankin's son is going to marry her, I suppose? Married man. Years ago. Last Christmas. They live as cozy as you please down in Natchez. He's cashier of that bank now. We stood by the rail as the boat made fast. The young lady tripped lightly ashore and greeted a white-haired old lady. The Hester Hale resumed her way. Step this way. I'll show you where Reddy was killed. We strolled to the gangway. He pointed to a little bullet hole in the casement. There were three shots fired. Reddy fired one, and I... I looked quickly up into his patriarchal face. (laughs) Patriarchal face. He paled and fixed his eyes on me. I didn't mean to say so much, friend, but I believe you were a square man. This spot has a fascination for me, and it is 20 years ago. 20 years ago. His head dropped. Or drooped. His head drooped. He seemed to be thinking of something beside what he uttered. I understand you, I said. I pressed his hand and went to bed. Yeah. So, um, I guess the obvious question is, what is it that the outer narrator understood that the inner narrator didn't say. Mm-hmm. What is it that you think that is, Jesse? Well, I think it's a few things. Um, I believe the guy who shot Reddy Rankin was this man, the narrator, the inner narrator, I guess, um, that he kind of regrets it and kind of cherishes it. And has become a much more upstanding person than he was. And that it's almost like he he takes a, um, a grandfatherly sort of uh, uh, position in, in this weird situation where he, he killed not exactly uh, a girl's father, but a girl's guardian. And that changed her destiny. It's interesting. It's interesting to 
to see uh, the word that uh, to me makes makes this so interesting is the word square. I didn't mean to say that much, friend, but I believe you are a square man. Um, what what are you? I'm I'm thinking of square meaning um, moral and and firm mm-hmm. and family oriented, as in mm-hmm. uh, Mar- that song Mary from you know the the first part of the 20th century. Oh, there is something there that's oh so square. It's a grand old name. Mm-hmm. I, I think this kind of square. I think what the the inner narrator is saying to the outer narrator is. I think you'll, I think you'll understand what's going on. We don't have to speak more of it. I trust you. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's you know on the square and on the level. You know, like those are uh, sort of the the code words for a secret society of um, uh, Masons, right? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we need to necessarily read it that these are both Masons and they're telling stories because, in fact, uh, murder is is wrong and Masons shouldn't. Uh, be covering that up sort of thing. Um, but is it murder? I, uh, well, you know, I had a, I had a different view and I, I've got to say that I, I don't think that it's clear that my view is correct, but I've read the story over a number of times to try to figure out what, what the implied author behind the text is hoping that we'll figure out. And maybe what he's trying to convey is that we can't really figure it out because what's mm-hmm. unsaid is indeed unsaid. But that that phrase, a patriarchal face, mm-hmm. we don't know who this little tot's father is. We know that when she's delivered at low level landing, um, she goes into the hands of her mother. And we know that when 20 years later, uh, the the uh, bank teller falls in love with her, he is boarding at the mother's house. It's not boarding as in getting on a ship. The mother must maintain a boarding house. And mm-hmm. so there's the mother, the stepfather, and along comes this fellow who turns out to be Rankin's son. Uh, interesting coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, patriarchal, I kind of got the sense that since we don't know who the father is, that the father is the guy who is the inner narrator. Mm-hmm. That's why he keeps going back and forth on the river, because he certainly isn't going back and forth on the river to continue gambling or to take advantage of the open bar because things have changed a lot on the river. Mm-hmm. And yet he knows the stops. He knows that 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 girl is going to be there and he's looking at her longingly. I think that's his daughter. Um, it's it's entirely possible within the text that it is. Well, if it's his daughter. So, you know, that that phrase, uh, you know how people are consigned to the care of strangers. Mm-hmm. I got to say, um, I, I don't know what life was like in 1895 or actually since this is presumably 20 years earlier, 1875. Um, but. Uh, yeah, people get consigned to the care of strangers. Uh, children, uh, Jewish children during the Holocaust were given to Christians in the hope that they would shelter them. Um, I know that when I was a, a boy in Queens, my parents lived um, along the same bus route that came within a couple of blocks of my of my mother's mother's uh, apartment, my grandparents. And sometimes my mother would take me to the bus stop. And as early as the age of three, it's hard to fathom now in New York City, the age of three, she would put me on the bus, 
put in the fare and say to the bus driver, please let him off at Liberty Avenue. And when I got to Liberty Avenue, the bus driver would say, "Okay, go on down. And there would be one of my grandparents. I can't fathom it now, but because, frankly, we try not to put children in the care of strangers unless there is some extraordinary pressure like the Holocaust. So what's the extraordinary pressure here? I think the extraordinary pressure is that Rankin, um, that, that, that the inner narrator uh, was the father, that the inner narrator was a married man, or for some other reason, it was inappropriate to recognize that this was his daughter. He had arranged to have the child given over for transportation back to her mother. So the child, the mother had already given birth. I presume the mother gave birth somewhere else, you know, upriver, and her father was there. Um, and then she went back. So she probably never let people know um, who the father was. Now, guess what? That's exactly the story of Hester Prynne, mm-hmm. right? This is the boat. It's called the Hester Hale I love it. Right. So Hester Prynne in the Scarlet Letter won't let us know. And the end of the Scarlet Letter, of course, when Dimsdale opens up his uh, pulls his shirt open when he is there in public. And some people saw nothing on his breast. Others saw an A there, a scarlet A for adultery, like the A that Hester had embroidered on her breast. Others saw the letter A emblazoned on a cloud in the sky. Hawthorne doesn't tell us. In fact, whether there was anything to be seen or not, we know that Dimsdale is the father, but Hester never speaks up, right? We don't know who the father is here, but the boat is the Hester Hale. And so I think there is an unknown father. I would guess that's the fellow with the patriarchal face. I also would point out that Hale, I don't know what is meant by Hale, but I'll tell you what I think. There was published... um, a, a story um, called The Man Without a Country mm-hmm. by Edward Everett Hale, a remarkably, remarkably popular story. In this story, someone uh, is accused of treason. And in the court, he says, you know, the United States be damned. Um, and what happens is that the court gives him his wish I guess he says, I never want to hear its name again. Mm -hmm. Um, And the court gives him his wish. He is condemned to be put onto a navy vessel. And as that vessel is to come to port, another vessel that's leaving port is to take him. For the rest of his life, he may never touch the soil of the United States again. And Mm -hmm. everyone is required to never mention him again. Never mention it again. He can't even have a map of the United States that they give to him. When he finally dies, they discover that he wanted nothing more. Ultimately, he comes to realize what he's given up. He he longs for the United States more than he longs for family, more than he longs for friends. He wants a country. He wants a place he can call his own. This boat is the Hester Hale. Mm -hmm. This is a boat that goes back and forth. And our poor patriarchal guy has no country. He cannot connect. Because he cannot admit that 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 girl is his daughter. He has no place he can land and he's forever going back and forth. You know, I think of Heraclitus. You can't step in the same river twice. 
Things mm-hmm. have changed greatly on the river. Yes, they do. And yet they always stay the same. So when I read it, I finally came to decide if he's the guy who shot and if he's telling the truth. And I think maybe we kind of think he is because he seems to be speaking inadvertently without self-editing at the end there. You know, ready, fired one. And I. okay. so there were two shots. So two more shots. There were three shots were fired. So one got into ready. Um, One is a hole in the wall. And then there's one other shot. Um, I'm thinking that because Reddy had won $8,000 and we're told that there was a, you know, a lot of ill feeling about this. By the way, I looked it up. Assuming this story is meant to happen in 1895 when it was published and 20 years earlier puts us in 1865. Mm Mm-hmm. 8,000, I mean, 8,875 dollars in the United States, if you use an inflation calculator, mm-hmm. equals 167,296 dollars and 28 cents today. Would have rounded up about 170,000 dollars. That is a heck of a lot of money mm-hmm. to win at gambling. And I can easily see that somebody shot ready uh, or, or, Attacked ready. One shot. But I don't think it would be this guy. Because if this guy's the father, he was waiting to see that the daughter, that his daughter got on board. And he wanted to protect that daughter. So Mm. why did he shoot? He shot the other guy. Because he didn't want anybody going into the cabin. Now that ready had won all of this money. How did he win $170,000? <laughs> I have a feeling that our inner narrator lost it to him yeah. intentionally so that that girl would have it. Now, whether or not he killed Reddy so that the girl would then be taken away with it or someone else got into it, I, I can't really tell. But I think our guy tried to settle everything so that the money and the girl were delivered to the mother. Um, But I can't tell exactly, although as with Hawthorne, there's adultery going on and there is paternal care going on. Um, But this guy, the inner narrator, can never have it. He, He has no country. I think that's what's going on. I just I like I like your interpretation. Uh, I also think that it's because it's so short and yet there's so much going on in it. I think that it's open to many interpretations. I I I certainly considered that. Um, the I and I like your reading of the name of the ship. I also I didn't think of the the man without a country, but that that's very logical and certainly fits. Um, but I, I I just like the name of the ship as well. <laughs> At the time, it's the Hester Hale, which to, you know you associate Hester with sin, and Hale is healthy, so right. <laughs> it's like the healthy sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the, going up and down the river, um, you know, guns going off, cards being played, and fortunes being won and lost, and people getting shot. It's it's uh, you know it's the Wild West on the Mississippi. This is actually set on the Mississippi. Um, Kellyville doesn't seem to be a place uh, that I could find, and but, but Natchez <laughs> certainly is. Yeah, and that is on the Mississippi. So, um, but uh, there's another aspect to it that I, I like to think about. 
And uh, so the outer narrator, the guy who's telling the story of this man he's met, who's telling the story of, of what happened 20 years ago, uh, is watching a man who is watching a woman. And the description here is interesting. It says, I sat opposite a gray-bearded man who, when he had completed his meal, closely scrutinized a modest-appearing young woman. Now, modest is an interesting word to uh, describe someone, but modest-appearing, that's kind of a kind way of saying not particularly attractive. Plain is another way of putting it. Um, And then the the narrow the uh inner narrator says perhaps you thought it funny i watched that lady so closely (laughs) it's like why are you looking at that lady she's not that attractive right um the um you know the uh, i'm sorry jesse i uh, stick with stick stick with it for a second because uh, there's a a following a follow-up um on the next page he fell head over heels in love with sis this is the teller right yes you can't you can't much blame him, can you? She's awfully handsome. <laughs> now, uh, obviously, that is not um, a, a necessary indictment. I mean, people do, do say she's awfully attractive, and they don't mean she's ugly. However, um, it just so happens that this this teller is the son of Reddy Rankin, and we were told that the family of Reddy Rankin was would not acknowledge the uh, that he was part of their family. Nobody knew anything about the money, so Sis kept her so Sis's mother kept it, trying all the time to get some knowledge of the Rankin family. That she could not do. They had disowned him. Well it turns out that this young man who's grown up uh, with his father, dad and his stepfather raising him has uh, just so happened to have married uh, a woman who does have a fortune. Um, she, he, the only thing we really know about him is that he just so happened to marry a girl who, uh, was, you know, related to the man who, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But we know what he does for a living. He works in a bank and he started as a teller and now he's a cashier. He's been, uh, (laughs) got a better job. What we do know about him is that he's interested in money (laughs) because he works at a bank. And so there, there is a way of reading this so that um, the, the outer narrator, the, uh, the inner narrator, I should say, the, the man who uh, I think did the shooting of Reddy Rankin is, is sort of responsible. He can't get his money back because he's killed a man. He can't go into the little girl's room and take that money. But what he can do is sort of monitor the situation, and he's monitored it such that this woman, uh, Sis is her name, (laughs) a funny name, has managed to get a husband, even though she's not super attractive. Wow. What do you think of of this argument? Uh, I I think it holds together. It's not, but I, I wouldn't read it that way. I... I thought with the opening, uh, things have changed greatly. Now there are no open bars, card playing, shooting, uh, much less travel for that matter. All right. So what was going on 20 years earlier? There was a lot of open bars, card playing, even shooting and lots of 
travel. Um, and I think they were fellow travelers. I think, in fact, like Miss Kitty in uh, Gunsmoke, I think that there were uh, professional women who were on these boats. And so when the fellow says, um, perhaps you thought it funny, I watched that lady so closely since she was modest appearing. The image that I had was of a a young woman who uh, had a a blouse buttoned up to her, her neck and so on. And I actually thought that what it was saying was not that she was only modestly good looking. I thought it was saying that her appearance was one of modesty um, mm-hmm. phrase we hear nowadays when people talk about uh, Muslim women wanting to dress modestly, maybe right. beautiful. Um, but we can't see much because different degrees, they, they cover themselves. And when, but this woman isn't completely covered. She's appearing modest. She's keeping her elbows together. She's eating quietly. She's not raucous. She's not inviting attention as a prostitute might who's looking for a client. And so when later we're told she was, in fact, handsome woman, you know, we can see why someone Off, fell in love with her. Um, yeah, I, I got the idea that she really was um, good looking, but modest. She's the opposite of a prostitute. She's the opposite of the kind of person that Reddy Rankin was. And she's the opposite of the kind of person that the inner narrator was. That he, Mm -hmm. in fact, was a gambler, too. And so um, he wanted to make sure that the money went with her so the mother could have it. Um, I I don't think they're completely incompatible. It's just uh, what can he do? What could he do? Like this guy who who knows this girl and seems to watch her from afar in a sort of uh, patriarchal way. Right. He can't go up to her and say, you know, the only reason he wants to marry you is because the money because if he does, then, you know, he's going to get in trouble for having shot that man. Right. Um, and that's why he sort of trails off in the middle of that uh, <laughs> confession. It, you know, but it, I don't know that he's against him because. No, I don't think he, he uh, says, you know, we're, we're just, but what we're are you just gonna blowing do? for low water now. We're just blowing for no, meaning we're letting steam out of the uh, the, the steam engine on this stern wheeler uh or paddle wheeler this mississippi river boat uh, let's go on deck and see sis land up to visit her ma i reckon so the inner narrator knows what she's doing uh he's he does watch her as you say rankin's son is going to marry her i suppose the outer narrator says married man year ago last christmas they live as cozy as you please down in natchez how does he know all this? Exactly. He's stalking her. Absolutely. I that's I think he really maintains a complete interest in her as as Dimsdale does in in Pearl and Hester's daughter. But that phrase, married man, year ago last Christmas, they live as cozy as you please down in Natchez. I don't think he wants to warn Rankin's son off that woman. I think he's really delighted that Sis has found a really nice guy. And as far as that being a fortune, it's true. One hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars is a lot of money. It might be enough money, for example, for a poor girl with no dowry and no husband to buy a house, Mm -hmm. which she could then turn into a boarding house and manage to make a living for herself until one of those days she marries someone else, providing a stepfather for the girl. 
mm-hmm. and a setting within which someone someone else comes along and sees her serving in that house and say, oh wow and falls in love with her. I I read it as a coincidence that this was Rankin's son. Uh, I don't see that uh, that. Sid I think, has so I think much money at this point that the guy is a, a money grubber. On the other hand, I think it's quite clear that money is behind lots of people's motivations, including this guy's. But I don't. He's think, a banker. Right? Yeah, but I don't. Yes, but I don't think we're supposed to think, especially given the inner narrator watching them so closely for for years. I don't think we're supposed to think that the inner narrator thinks that this guy is a gold digger. I think this oh, no. guy. I think the inner narrator wants his daughter, at least I read it as his daughter. He wants his daughter to, in fact, be happy. He wants the mother to be able to care for her, hence the $170,000. And she, he wants her eventually to have a, a solid, stable husband where money will no longer ever again be a problem. But he doesn't want her to have to be serving other people. She is not, in fact, a prostitute. Yeah, uh, there's a lot I, I, about I, economics and sexuality uh, together in this story. And the fact that we don't know what the ending really means uh, maybe says something about how hidden are the real connections between economics and uh, and gender relations in our our own world. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the only aspect that I think is so interesting that, you know, the, the line that goes – um, they didn't over mourn much. He he was he wasn't the worst chap that ever lived. So this is the narrator so saying, well, he's a bad man, but he wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's almost reflecting on him, right? He, he's a also he's he's a mirror to uh, Reddy, and when he says, um, the mom went looking for family says, so Sis Mother kept at it, trying all the time to get some knowledge of the Rankin family. It's, it, I can almost imagine what happened is she went up the river and she found out that this family might be connected. Knock, knock, knock on the door. Um, and the, the family said, well, the line is, they had disowned him. So it could be a knock, knock, knock. I, I have this money. I think it came from uh, your 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 father your family um would you like no and you know we don't he's not a part of our family we don't respect any of the right sort of things but in the background is a little boy uh-huh. <laughs> a boy who would grow up to be a teller who's listening to this and saying that's interesting <laughs> sort of has it in the back of his mind and then he sort of huh he runs into this girl later on uh, it, it, it need not be sinister it need not be it, it can't be the case it need not be the case that he bo- be both um uh you know money grubbing and uh, uh only money grubbing sure. he could be money grubbing and also thinking well you know she does she may not be the most attractive woman but she's very modest and that's a good quality too i guess although i think of her as better looking than you do uh, I, think uh, one- I think that the fa- this father figure certainly does but I think that because of the ambiguity of the way it's written and the way the narrator uh, can interpret it as, and the reader can interpret it, you might think it's funny I'm staring at that woman, right? Um, that uh, w- all of these possibilities, and of course because it's a fake, it's not a true story, we have this, all these possibilities are open. And 
Das. Yeah, oh, they are. And that's that's makes it wonderful. You'll notice that the outer narrator doesn't ask the inner narrator, why are you staring at that woman? Mm-hmm. The inner narrator clearly is bursting to tell his story. Right. And this really matters to him. He wants someone he can tell the story to. Um, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, that I think that that the girl is his daughter, because if the girl were Rankin's daughter and there were a little boy in the background when the door opens, that little boy would be her half sister. Right. And that would mean that this guy would now be really happy that they have an incestuous marriage. Right. Now, I, I really think that's beyond the scope of what this story is asking us I to agree. consider. Yeah. And that, it's hard, though. You know, life is difficult. I don't know what happens in Stateroom 6. Um, <laughs> but It's a funny title, isn't it? It is. And, you know, he gave her a bag of candy so that she wouldn't be troubled. Right. And that's all that you need when you're a little kid. But you grow up. The world is more complicated. You can't stay in that. That room is not a state of its own. Right. This is the girl can't be without her country. She needs someplace to go. This guy's trying to find it for her. But he needs to make a connection to it that that he can't for whatever reason. Um, And he can't even say the reason, which is why. If our outer narrator hadn't pressed his hand and gone to bed, I think he would have found that there is, in fact, more to say. <laughs>